This episode is brought to you by Visit Myrtle Beach. You know what's better than getting away to a beach? Getting together at the beach. Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. They've got over 2,000 restaurants, live music playing all day and night, and endless attractions. This place was made for playing hard and beaching easy. Welcome to 60 Miles Where You Belong. The Beach, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Plan your trip at visitmyrtlebeach.com. The Pod Fix Network. Hello and welcome to episode 206 of the Filmmakers Podcast. Jesus, really? It's 206. Can you believe it? Uh, this is the Filmmakers Podcast where we talk filmmaking from indie film to studio films and everything in between. How to get them made, how to make them and how to try not to... Don't say it because they'll they'll censor you and they'll make it like the kids can't listen anymore. I already have that option on because we swear so much in the podcast. I've already got explicit. Uh, when I put it up, so kids shouldn't be listening to you saying. Try not to fuck it up. There you go. Thank you. I am delighted uh, to have on today as my co-host Dan Richardson. Now Dan is an actor, he's a filmmaker, and he's an animal conservationist. Hello, buddy. Hello, mate. I can't believe it's episode two hundred and six. Congratulations. I, it's it's amazing. I can remember when it started. I remember the first episode. Yeah, um, we sat in a studio in Mill Hill and had some fun, didn't we, on that did. first one? If, if you dare go back and listen to the first one, then have fun, you. <laughs> we have changed since then. <laughs> We've also made more films since then. All of our advice would be different now. No, it wouldn't. Yes, exactly. Totally different advice now. Don't listen to them. So, today's episode, before me and Dan talk some shit, uh, today's episode is with the fantastic Emma Biggins, uh, producer of Schools Out Forever, and Ollie Milburn, the director of Schools Out Forever, which is out today. It's a fantastic movie. Myself and Dan worked with Ollie and um, Emma on their first feature, The Harsh Light of Day. Dan was the star of it, and I was in it too. And uh, you can go watch that now. It's a brilliant movie. Yeah, cool in every way. It was a great great effort like a you know incredible example <laughs> no like because it's an incredible example of independent filmmaking at its best because as these guys will talk about in today's uh, episode you know it was it was actually their grad project yeah and that's incredible really? it speaks volumes about their ability and their tenacity and what they did i thought was it so that's when i say great effort it was incredible because it came out a, a really good really respectable film and it they had everything stacked against them from budget to resources to time frame to experience and ability at that point in their career it was incredible mm-hmm. so hats off I to totally them. agree absolutely hats off to them what else uh, did you learn from recording this week's episode Dan? so what I love about this episode is the way to- Ollie talks about how he shifted focus within the business didn't even look at directing for some years and the amazing advice they give us regarding the release of The Harsh Light of Day and how they sold that film we also talk deeply about their new movie, Schools Are Out Forever, and how you can get an option on a novel. We also talk about financing a film uh, and how Rebellion, the brilliant games company, came on board and how important it is to have dogged determination. They talk about how just to get through the film, you've got to stick to the plan, and then they talk about how they marketed their movie so you can learn how to market your movie. You absolutely can. We also talk about the actual release strategy which Rebellion did and how they've gone direct 
to consumers themselves uh, and how they're releasing on all platforms. It is an incredible episode. You will learn so much from Ollie and Emma. They are brilliant people. We've missed them in our lives, actually. So it's really nice to reconnect that me and Dan have done. So uh, you're going to enjoy this episode. Uh, Dan, it's, you, you appeared on the Christmas episode, but actually the whole of 2020, you hadn't been on the podcast. So it's a delight to have you back. It's a delight to be back. Good. Oh, it's such a pleasure, man. Thanks for having me back. I mean, and so, and it's so, it's such a nice little reunion for us, isn't it? Because, like you said, it's actually, aside from a little TV commercial where we actually officially first met and 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 became aware of each other, that was actually the first time that yeah. we really spent any time together, and we worked both on that film. You you downplayed your role. Nice you were a day. you yes. were a co lead on that, and it was, uh, wow. you know, it was an amazing opportunity, especially for me. I mean, that was the first first lead I'd done in a feature. And it's yeah. such a nice opportunity, such a great reunion to, to reconvene with you, Ollie, Emma, talk about the old days, talk about where they've been since. And, and to be, it's quite extraordinary when you think about the fact that here we are 10 years down the line mm-hmm. having a conversation about the journey we've taken since. That just in, epitomizes for me how fast time flies. And you've got to take the yeah. bull by the horns, you know, you've got to, you've got to say yes to yeah. opportunities. And I think that's what's kind of really cool about this podcast as well, because we can get to do that. Mm. But Dan, I wanted to talk to you about, you've just been shooting a short, but you also came and shot uh, a nice little cameo in The Stranger in Our Bed, which, interestingly, I just delivered uh, the first rough cut to the producers. Uh, me and Ollie Parker have just done that, which is kind of super exciting. You're nice. in that. And you're also shooting Fire Rises at the moment, Paul Knight's latest feature. You're on a roll, Dan Richardson. I'm, well, you know what? I'm on a roll, thanks, in almost entirely to you, mate, because because um, <laughs> you gave me a little cameo in Stranger in Our Bed, which I was very grateful yeah. for. And then also put me forward to Paul Knight for uh, to play opposite Paul Marlon in, in Fire Rises. And and I'm so grateful to be on board with with both of those opportunities. And, 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 and you know, the reason why that was so valuable to me is because as an actor and a filmmaker I had taken that decision uh, over the course of the last year or two to just focus more wholeheartedly on on food for thought and and it just simply didn't leave time to be doing both for those who don't know our document is all about you know, the plant-based lifestyle animal um, welfare and just generally how you can make the world a better place uh, and it's something me and Dan have been you know passionate about for so long we wanted to put it out there and some of you listening to this podcast regularly will know about it uh, those who don't that's what me and Dan have been doing and we're very close now if you want to know more go to foodforthoughtdoc.com where you can you can read up all about that don't forget as well the dare is out now on Amazon Prime if you're in the UK you can watch it for free if you've got Amazon Prime obviously so do go do that do support thank you for those who have I've had some amazing comments last couple of weeks honestly really love you guys for doing that and just reaching out and saying how much you enjoyed the film and appreciate the shit that's gone into it and the hard work and as you've heard on this podcast how how difficult it is to make a film and everyone knows that now who listens regularly so good thank you for that do go watch if you can if you're in America rest of the world you can see it uh, type the dare into your film browser if you have one it's your film browser <laughs> yeah yeah it's like a oh. you know it's a browser it's like oh. what film do you want to watch and the you just dare. type in or you say the dare I'd like to watch the dare please <laughs> and then the, the and then the TV will go I think you said the dare and and then she, and she goes hi <laughs> it's programmed uh, I love it thank you uh, for joining us on this one Dan so sit back relax and enjoy uh, this week's episode of the Filmmakers Podcast with the fantastic Emma Biggins and the absolute delightful Oliver Milburn myself Giles Alderson and Dan Richardson 
Hello. Hello, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Good. You can hear me, right? Yeah, we can hear you. And you sound amazing. Listen to that microphone. I just had some toast and I inhaled a crumb. And I was like <clears throat> coughing oh and splashing for the last 10 minutes thinking, am I going to be able to do this podcast? <laughs> <laughs> Biggins, how are you? I'm good. God, it's been a long time. It has been a long time. Nice. Oh, good, good, good. So this is a perfect reunion. We just wait for Ollie. You're on mute, Ollie. Great. I just thought, you know, you have to do that at the start of a meeting. You have to do that. Hello, buddy. Hello, mate. How are you doing? I'm good. Lovely to see you. Yeah, you too. Really cool. Really cool. We were just saying, we were just trying to catch up on how long it's been and worked out it's been too long. I should warn in advance, I am in a hotel and I specifically changed hotel with the production because this is rumoured to have decent Wi-Fi, which a hotel in Wales with decent Wi-Fi is very rare. Always fun. And wh why are you in Wales? Uh, I am working on a Sky show called Extinction. Um, not as director, as the VFX supervisor. So, yeah, trying to balance that with schools out coming out and, you know, all that. And all that. And it's such a weird thing, isn't it, when we've got a movie coming out, but yet we've still got to do a, some any other job that will come along. Everyone, everyone thinks that, I think, when you make a movie, that, oh, that's it, your life's going to change, you never need to do anything else again, you can just sit in a, in a lovely coastal um, resort and write your script, or in a barn in the middle of nowhere, and write your next one. No chance, no chance. Ollie, I think that was your perception post-harsh light, wasn't it? It was, it was, yeah. I was like, right, this is it. We're going to be, uh, you know, it's, it's going to be next script will probably be paid on a paid on a plate. I don't know if that's a phrase, but yeah. That's um, a good one. Paid on a plate is a silver platter as well. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you do think that, don't you? Isn't it funny when we first start making movies, we do think every, everyone's get paid a fortune for it and stuff. I was just talking to a director um, who I've worked with, not on this show, but on a couple of TV shows before the other day, who's, who's um, uh, I obviously won't mention his name, but is, is, is in, in, his, in his 50s and he was sort of saying, it's, and he's very successful, but he was sort of saying it's still a hustle every day. It's a hustle to get the next project, to get the next person to read the next thing or to, you know. Um, so yeah, it goes on. It does, isn't it? Wit? And I think as long as you know that, I think it puts you in a better place to sort of go, don't expect, just you've got to do the work. No one's going to knock on your door. And if they do, great. And you hope that they're all right and not too crazy. Um, but if you don't keep knocking on the door, it's not going to happen, right? Because I mean, it's a big gap between, you know, the first one, Harsh Light a Day, uh, 2012, it actually came out. And, and now, which is nearly 10 years later for School's Out. And during that time, you've been trying to make more movies, right? Yeah, sort of. We both have, in a, in a way, I suppose. Yeah, but Foley is a director, right, on that side of it. Yeah, I mean, I think I think there's a funny, in a weird way for, for both me, me and Emma, there's a funny thing that happened where I think, I mean, I certainly felt after School's Out, uh, after Harsh Light, I mean, I was really, really proud of the film and, and obviously really proud of everyone who, who worked on it. But I felt that I, I had done that thing slightly where I had written a script that I thought was really good and then I had possibly somewhat arrogantly said I'm going to direct this as well and actually you know on set my technical I'm, I mean I think I've always considered myself uh it sounds incredibly pretentious but a, a storyteller and a good storyteller and and that's where my natural experience comes from just from reading and from um you know uh, uh devouring all forms of narrative media um and I think that when we made Harsh Light, that part of me was very strong, but I didn't really have the, the, the skills to not to know what I wanted, but to communicate how to get that. 
to the crew and and there was just so much technical knowledge I, I didn't have and at that point I mean as I say I'm a, I, I, prior to schools out release I am I have been a full-time uh, VFX supervisor for for some of my career and and at the time we made Haslight I didn't even know how a green screen worked you know that's something that I'd, I'd, I'd learned since um, and also um, you know cinematography and things I mean I think we we did that's a very long-winded way of saying we did keep making films um, and certainly uh, kept making shorts and things like that and developing scripts because, as I say, the narrative and, and Schools Out was a long development process and, and scripts always been, you know, where, where my home is. But in terms of actually making films, I think more for, for me, I actually sort of it's more a case of going away and learning how to do it really properly, you know, really learning to 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 make the most of the money on screen um, and and you know, how these things work in a kind of nuts and bolts way. Um, and in fact, for a while, I was literally um, a, a camera technician, thanks to Emma. Emma got me a job as a camera technician. And Amazing. So, you know, it kind of, um, it, it, it really learning just all these different aspects of it. And um, and as I say, the one that I particularly flew into and, and, and made, made a career out of was, was visual effects. But um, I was trying to learn everything at that time. And then it feels very satisfying to that, for that to sort of come back to around and work with Emma on Schools Out, which, as I say, we've been developing for so long, and then and then feel like we, you know, ma managed to deliver something that 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 is the result of that experience. If that makes sense, it totally does. And Schools Out is brilliant. Schools Out Forever is so good. Uh, it's a really good movie. It really is. Uh, and we'll, we'll we'll come back to that because I, I want to talk to you all in depth about that. Me and Dan do, but I wanted to talk obviously about how we all met and our our first film. I'm still very proud of it. I think it's a really good movie. It's, you know, for what you made it on, what was it 15, 20K, something like that? Two and a half million. <laughs> sure, yeah. <laughs> I, I haven't, you know, I haven't watched it in years and I keep thinking, just particularly lately, I keep thinking, it's about time I watch that again. And I just like, I, I don't feel like it's quite the right time. I think sometime this year I'm going to sit down and watch it because it's been years since I've watched that film. And, and I, yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely due another rewatch. It, it was our first feature, but essentially it was our, it was our grad film. You know, we were at film school and that was, you know, so we had a specific window of the summer of 2009 to, to make to make a film if we'd known if i'd known it was a student film we might have gone i don't know i'm not sure i'm sure we did i can't remember but you guys were so cool i remember meeting you guys and thinking yeah these guys are great they seem to know what they're doing they know what they're talking about they seem really lovely and i think that's really important for when you're sort of starting out and you are sort of blagging it in some way is you've got a vision and you guys had a real vision dan what do you remember from that time i just i, I remember being and emma and i have spoken about this before like nearer the time it happened i was I remember trying to be somewhat contained and cool when I, you know, because you don't want to like come across as like, oh my God, this is amazing for me. Nothing like this has ever happened to me because uh, I want them to trust that I can do the job. And obviously we'd gone through the audition process where you and I had uh, seen each other, Giles, if you remember on the way to the auditions, we met at the train station accidentally and we knew each other um, from a from a TV commercial we'd, we'd done. And then turned out we were both on the way to this, well, you were reading for me you'd already got the role of Infinari and I was I was auditioning for Daniel and um and you were trying to butter me up to try and make me uh, 
pick you. Emma called me up to say, yeah, we'd like to offer you the role. And I was literally just jumping up and down for joy because it was, I'd loved the script. It was the best script I'd read that at that point. In fact, it still is one of the best scripts I've read. <laughs> it, it is 20 years on nearly, Dan. <laughs> I, I really, no, I, I, I thought it was such a strong script and it was such a great character to get your teeth into, no pun intended, but it was just, I, I was just over the moon. I rem- And I just remember being so, so thrilled when Emma told me that I had the gig and I was trying to be sort of, you know, like, oh, that's great news. Thanks very much. Looking forward to it. And I was going, ah! <laughs> Well, it was a vampire story in a way, but it was disguised as a really cool home invasion drama, wasn't it, in some way, you know? And, and I think that's why it appealed. It was just really interesting. Um, what, do, what do you remember about that time now, looking back, you two, in terms of, or three of you as well, in terms of how it felt to make a movie like that, a feature film, and then get it released. What were your memories of it now looking back? What would you have done differently? What would you have changed? What Just can you remember anything that would help our listeners go, ah, okay, that's how they made a first film, what not to do or what to do? Yeah, I mean, it's 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 a really tricky question because um, it, I think with all films, kind of once you... Once you're at the end of it, you kind of feel like that couldn't have happened any other way, um, which I know is not helpful advice. But we sort of we sort of rolled through it like someone I don't know rolling down a, a thorny hill, like just <laughs> seeing what we hit. And, which pricks and, you can jump on on the way down. <laughs> easy. I mean, there's definitely things I'd do different, but I think we did. You know, we did some things really well. And I'm honestly not just saying this is because of present company and that you know we did very well with you two in the cast, as in it, those are the sort of the shining performances of the film and really and really bolster it up and and also you know we you're the way you both um which is i mean now it's so obvious that you're now you know making a, a podcast called the filmmakers podcast your 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 passion both of you for making the film with us was was amazing and that was so helpful because it so drove the process and i was i remember thinking uh, i mean being so humbled by you know particularly Dan your sort of your sort of um investment in it and your kind of and you know because we were like sleeping on set and stuff like that obviously we had rooms but like we were shooting this one big house and there was like you know it was real sort of um a real um real indie stuff and we um yeah I think I mean it's a it's a tricky thing to even think uh about I mean there's a world in which I um I often think there's a world in which I'd taken that script and done a bit more work on it because as as Emma says we kind of had to get it ready for, for the end of the year which sounds ridiculous but and and then and then used it as a writing sample and 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 tried to 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 become a writer off that but that in itself would have had so many more you know such a different trajectory in twists and turns and wouldn't necessarily have been as successful um and um you know, any any route you go down like that, you're you're opening yourself up to you know successes and failures, and more often than not, failures. So mm-hmm. it it kind of um, I think ultimately the only thing I can say is I think we did the right thing, um, even if a part of that process was to you know the, the, to 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 make a film that perhaps wasn't perfect, but that taught us so much about what making films is about and what we needed to, as i say particularly for me like what i needed to do to to come back and 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 make them better um and again that's not to say i don't think that i'm very very proud of the film but i think it you know it's it's very much um what we could do at the time with the money and and particularly with my experience i mean it's kind of uh, i i don't even know if i should admit this on a podcast but i remember quite embarrassingly being like um 
trying to describe a track to the camera team. Like I was saying, basically what I was saying was I wanted to track to the left, but I was sort of just like crabbing along, pointing my fingers at the, <laughs> you know, because um, I was so much from the, as I say, from the writing side there. And, and, and I think there was a lot of, I will admit, I think there's a lot of hubris f for me in, 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 in saying I'm going to direct this, but I also think in that same spirit of, how you learn and how you become a filmmaker you know i also think i kind of had to or 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 i certainly don't think if we hadn't made that film i would be standing on sets now i think in best case scenario i would be sitting in my room writing which is one of the most noble professions there is as far as i'm concerned but i get a certain something out of the nuts and bolts of of making something um that i don't think i'd be experiencing now and as i say the the whole film really was down to the the I think when you're the director and the producer, you know you're you're sort of duty bound to give it your all. But I, the film wouldn't that film wouldn't exist without all you guys, without the crew putting you know everything into it and and putting everything on the line for it. And you know, so for that, you just can't be anything other than grateful. And that's why I'm always very wary of like talking about it in anything other than shining terms. But you know, if we're being self-critical sort of filmmakers on this podcast, you know, mm. you have to do that a bit. Yeah, that, I mean, that totally makes sense. And it's so lovely to hear because what I find amazing there is you went, no, let's not make a short, let's make a feature. And the fact that it has opened up your career, like you say, you might not be where you are now, both of you. The fact that you were brave enough to go, yeah, we want to make a feature. This is what we're going to do. Let's cast actors. Let's do this properly. was was incredible. And, I, I, you know, hats off to you guys for doing that. And you've both had great careers because of that. Who knows what would have happened without it, right? Emma, what do you remember from that time? You know, was it literally jumping feet first into something that was just a little bit crazy? A hundred percent it was. Yeah, <laughs> it was. Yeah, I think we just, you know, as Ollie said, it, it, it is very much, I mean, I, I feel like every every film I work on, there's a little bit of that element of when you're a kid, sort of at the top of a hill and you start running down and you have no control. All you've got to do is just tr keep trying to put one foot in front of the other and hope you don't hit a stone and stumble. Um, and it was very much, that was that was very much the case with Harsh Light. I think, I, I feel like, I want to say like three weeks. I think Ollie, you you started to write and you had a, the draft in three weeks, and that's yeah. pretty much what we shot. Um, so I mean, yeah, totally. In normal circumstances, you'd have a lot of script development and several drafts, and um, you know that it's not so that you know it was a great script, uh, but I'm sure it would have benefited from that process. But we had we had this window of time to make this film, and and um, you know ollie came up with what you know a script that we believed in and, and something that we could use to to sort of gather the gather the troops really and and because of the script and i guess our energy and 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 uh, our ambition we managed to to just bring on this this fantastic team um mm. just i mean the goodwill of of all the cast and crew um is it's so important when you make you know when you've got you've got no money and you're trying to you're trying to do something like this i mean anybody that's made a no or low budget film knows that you it's a real team effort you know everybody's sort of on level footing there was a lot of people learning like we were you know it was for a lot of people it was their first film i think yeah it just felt it just felt like everyone was in it together and everyone you know all the crew like ollie said all, all the crew lived in the house that we shot in um and dan as well i think one day we shot like for 
like 22 hours or something. We did. That's exactly right. I still tell that story, 22 hours. And I, do you remember why we finished that day? Is because and we were sitting in the living room doing a scene. I can't remember the scene. I was, I was having such a good time. I was ready to do more. And Toby, the first AD, <clears throat> he, in the middle of a scene, and we, we were struggling because we were 22 hours in. I think everyone was struggling to keep it together. I stay awake. <laughs> but we got a good, we were, get, we were halfway through a good take. It was like, you, you just felt that feeling of like, oh, we're going to get it. We're finally going to get it. And Toby was, just went, cut. And someone lo- looked at him and went, what, what you say? Why are you saying cut? What, what was that? And he went, and he, he'd obviously fallen asleep, woken up and just said cut. And then he went, um, <laughs> there was a booming shot. And there wasn't at all. <laughs> and that was where we wrapped. I think that's where we wrapped for the day because it was like, yeah, this is clearly too much. It's amazing. That's so fun. And he's gone on to be a very uh, well-established colorist now, right? Hasn't he? He has, yeah. yeah. Yeah, which is incredible. Quite a lot of the team have. You know, you used to work with David Sprague, who was the editor on that. He edited Schools Out forever, right? I mean, and it's really nice to see, you know, some of the cast are still, uh, Sophie Linfield, who else was in there? Nikki Falstead, Paul Jakes, Wesley McCarthy, Matthew Tom. Tim Henley, you know, some really, really cool people. Uh, John Joe McCallie, Steve McCartan. You know, that we still know and still around and still making things. And, you know, over 10 years later, 12 now, I suppose, when we actually shot it, is is really incredible. Um, looking back, is there anything you'd say to your young, younger selves now? I would prepare myself more for that thing you, you, you mentioned right at the start of this, of this notion that... I think when, at that time when we were making films, it was still, it was just on the precipice of when it was still, and I do, just to be really clear, it's an incredible, a massive thing to make a feature and a massive achievement to get a feature made in any form. But we, we were on that precipice where it was still kind of a lot. Some people were still using 35 mil to do it because we, we used, you know, very early days digital cameras to make um uh, harsh light and and it was still th- there was still this idea in there that it was a massive massive thing to make a feature as in like if you made a feature film at that time it didn't matter it didn't matter what it was like you you that was the start of your career just having got it done was enough to you know and and I would probably prepare myself for that not to be the case as in as in um you know we were also making it in the time of you know DVD shelves and 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 kind of the, this idea that exactly as you said, just that if you make a film and you and you think that then that's the work done basically, and actually it's just the start of it, and the, actually the next thing you should have is your next project, um, which we did, but it took you know, ten years to make. But um, and and um, yeah, I think I would just prepare myself more for that mentally because I I actually uh, you were just saying about um, you know persevering and still making stuff i actually went away from filmmaking for for a little while for like a couple of years because i was so upset by like the bad reviews and that's when i started getting that's when i started doing more of the technical stuff that was part of the reason for that was like i was like right i'm gonna you know um there was a combination of i as i said earlier i wanted to learn more about the nuts and bolts but i also you know i was like god i've done a i've done a degree in this now and um i should probably find a way of making a living from it and you know all that kind of thing um and yeah and i stopped i stopped making stuff for a little while just because and this is my own it's my own failing it's my own mental failing but because i was so i was hurt by those things i was sort of i was not prepared for the world not to give me a pat on the back and say well done just for doing it you know um i think we were we were funny in that we um 
we just, as you said, you asked about the release of it, and that was a whole other experience. And again, sort of expecting it to lead to things that perhaps it didn't. But we were released at just such a level that we kind of, we weren't quite a sort of, I don't quite know how to describe it, we weren't quite a sort of unnoticed, scrappy indie film in the sense that we we sort of got a weird amount of notice because as I say, it was still at a time when, you know, making a film in itself was, was, was a pretty big thing. But then that meant it was sort of in, in like in the guardian next to major releases of the week and getting pretty bad reviews, if I'm perfectly honest. Um, and, uh, you know, we got, we got from our sort of, from what you might consider like our neat little, um, uh, area of, you know, genre film, we got some pretty decent write-ups, but in the, you know, because people got, and it's funny, funny Emma was saying about the three weeks to write the script and a lot of the comments were, it feels like this script is a, a mishmash of things taken from other places. I'm like, because that's exactly what it was. I had three weeks. It was like, I'll take that thing from there and that thing from there. And I'll <laughs> smash That's the best, together. best way to do it, isn't it? Steal, steal from the best, right? And, uh, and, and yeah, so, so we got, we got, we were very, we were pretty well liked amongst you know our kind of um our kind of movies um uh, outlets but um in general it was not well received and I, and i found that really really difficult because i think i i thought that it was more a sense of like i don't understand and obviously we've we've now the internet's now grown up and we know that you know uh, vitriol is its main currency but um I didn't understand why people were being so unkind about this this thing that we tried so hard to do and with no with no other real desire other, other than for people to be entertained by it. And I know that's incredibly naive, but I'd sort of sit to to it's a very long-winded answer to your question, but I'd sit myself down and say, "Listen, that that's what you think is going to happen is is not going to happen. And uh, here's what's going to happen, but it's all right cuz it will all it will all feed into who you become and what your future of filmmaking is. And, you know, um, and now I do, I genuinely, I mean, I'm not inviting bad press. We want good press, obviously, but now I'm genuinely sort of, I don't, you know, especially with, you know, don't get you the whole, like, don't go into the comments. The, whenever you release something, you'll get every response under the earth and you just have to hope that some people enjoy it, you know. You do. And that's what I find amazing about this is, yeah, I, I've been burnt many times back when I was acting and certainly films come out. And what I've found is that people like ourselves who like films, we often don't comment on them. We won't write a review. We won't go bother. It's those people who have a bee in the bonnet. They want to get their anger out. If someone doesn't like something, that's when you write a review. You're very un It's very rare you write a review because you like something. People just don't do it. So therefore, all we see and all you saw for the Harshlight Day, and especially then, because the internet was kind of just starting its growth of anyone can write anything. You can be a hero by calling someone out in that small, ridiculous world that it was. And the Harshlight Day got a lot of that shit. What you didn't see at the time was all the wonderful praise that people have since said to Dan, myself, probably Emma, over that time that really enjoyed the movie a lot. But at the time, it really hurt. And I can understand that. I get it. You know, I've had it myself. And it's horrible. It really is. But it's interesting that you said, I don't, after a while, having that break of going, yeah, I don't care. I still want to make films. I'm still a, I'm still a good director and I want to do that. And that's, it, it, it takes balls to do that. And most people don't make a second movie and because of the shit you get from it. And you did, which is incredible. I think, I mean, a part of that and, you know, the one of the, 
Um, not that I, you know, I'm, I'm a, a, a huge advice giver, but the one of the questions that always gets asked, you know, I, should you work in the industry or should you have a, you know, if you're if you're an aspiring filmmaker, should you work in the industry or should you have another job and you know just chip away at it? I always land on the side of you should work in the industry because one of the things that got me back into doing it, and as you say, going, I actually, I, I am a good filmmaker, like I can do this, is, is. I don't mean this critically, but being on set now on, you know, I, as I said, I developed my VFX career and got on set with all these really good directors. And I saw great directors make terrible stuff because of various factors I saw happen during the production. And I saw, frankly, not great directors make stuff that had an amazing script and an amazing crew behind it and it came out okay and was pretty good on tv and and everywhere on the spectrum in between and then i and then i was lucky enough occasionally to see amazing directors make amazing stuff it, it made me realize that you know all of those things feed into you know the the quality i mean to even say the quality of a film is is an absurd term to me now i mean a film is a a collision of chaotic events that ends in this thing and it looks like what it looks like to take the ego out of it basically and like it's not about you it's about trying to make a good film and if you don't um you don't but the, but the more you do it the better you get at it and you know um i think you know making schools out forever I, i'm i'm really proud of schools out forever and i and i i think that it's good and i don't i'm <laughs> coming on this podcast going my film's good but i mean like it feels very much like a vindication of that process and a kind of I feel comfortable now. I feel comfortable now with other people not liking it, basically, because I can sort of say, oh, I, I do. So, you know, that's fine. amazing. And it's amazing to hear. And you're so right. That's the right attitude. People won't like it, but fuck them. You really like it and you've worked hard at it and you're proud of it. Absolutely. The, the right, the right attitude. Uh, and some of the, one of the films you worked on when you're doing the VFX was, uh, Deborah Haywood's Pincushion, which is a fantastic movie and she's been on. So that's one of them I imagine hopefully inspired you. Um, even though, you know, you've been schools out was probably around the same time that that push was happening. Um, Emma, same question to you then. Uh, what would you say to your younger self? Well, weirdly, in a, in a similar sort of, a similar sort of thing to Ollie, but from a producer's perspective, I think there was a big part of me that kind of thought, I, you, you, you know, you, at that stage, you, you could read about a lot of these very rare examples like Blair Witch, where, you know, people had made films with no money and then made loads of money from it. And it done really well. It was box office hit. And, you know, I think there was a, a little bit in my mind that we'd make this no budget film and it'd be amazing. And we'd, we'd make loads of money and we'd, you know, we'd all not get rich, but we'd do really well out of it. And, you know, it would be one of those examples in the history books, um, which, uh, you know, I think buying a lottery ticket, I, I think I'd probably be luckier. Um, which isn't to say that, it will, you know, it's not a great film. Again, you know, incredibly proud of it. But I think I definitely, definitely remind myself of why we were making it. Um, and that was just to, you know, it, it was... It, almost in its entirety that summer was our film school in a way because we just you know we we did we you know there was a lot of blagging involved um in getting it off the ground and then we just learned so much you know I'd, I didn't know what I was doing um I was just trying to get this film made and and I remember I remember um shortly after we'd finished it I remember watching it with Ollie and Ollie saying that shot there, that is the one single shot in the film that was what I imagined 
that shot to be. That's the only shot <laughs> that's ended up. And it's a, it's a, I'll tell you which shot it was. It's a slightly Dutch. It's a Dutch shot of an alleyway, and it's you walking down the alleyway with headlights. You, I think you were going into the um, brothel to. You're tracking down, yeah. <laughs> and it's that one Dutch shot, and Ollie said that's the only shot that's 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 made it into the and, and the you know the final cut of the film that I had in my mind before we started shooting. Uh, yeah, and that and that's not to say that like I thought all the other shots were a disaster. It's more that like they, it's also diff like that picture. It's when you when you have in your head a storyboard frame and then you compare, you know, and sometimes you have it for real, obviously, but like a storyboard frame, and then you compare it to the final frame and everything else for. So this this cascade of reasons that I was talking about earlier, the chaos of it was different in some way. The the location was different, the costume was different, the 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 tone was different, the lighting was different. Whatever it was, everything else was 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 different. And again, not necessarily worse, but different. And that's the sort of like mincing machine that it goes the 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 filmmaking process goes through on um on a on a low budget you know it kind of um but yeah i remember that and funny just another funny little anecdote about the craziness of that film that scene i don't know if you remember we shot during the rap party because we hadn't shot it yet and oh, really? and there was a corridor <laughs> then there, there was a corner uh i can't remember quite why we were doing the rap party a few days before the end of shoot but there was a alleyway just around from where the cafe where we were doing the rap party and i was like this alleyway is perfect and then everybody just was like well the camera's in the truck let's you know and it was it was dan's own car that was the car so it was like well let's let's do it i love that you see cause that's what that and that's indie filmmaking right there and the fact is that's what you learned to just let's get on with it like you say emma you were you were just learning on the hoof but that's the best way when you're making an indie film for no no money and you've gone on you've like say you've gone on like to produce so many amazing films a verity summer was the one you really worked hard and production managed and you worked both worked on stalled actually uh, allies kicking off writer's retreat golden years the hippopotamus a pincushion as well uh beast the vanishing slaughterhouse rules 47 meters down uh uh, uncaged uh, you know what I mean these are all you you've developed this this wonderful way of continuing in the business um but I suppose yeah just carrying on that about what you felt now looking back what you might have done differently or what you could help filmmakers out there go ah if only I'd done this or learned this or knew that the most important thing for me was that that was a learning experience and and I think you know I you know I'm a, I'm a little bit of a control freak anyway um but but just sort of feeling this you know trying to trying to pigeonhole it into something that i thought it should be when actually the most important thing was was to sort of just make this film and accept things that i didn't know rather than try and blag it blag it and, and and pretend that i did know stuff just accept things that i didn't know and try and learn throughout the experience i think that's the most important thing if you if you're making your first feature and and you've not you've not had a lot of experience i i, I just think absorb as much as possible um and I, I feel like I maybe could have got a little bit more out of the experience um, rather than just being so focused on trying to make a this product that I can sell and make loads of money with, which wasn't, you know, which wasn't the most important thing. But you had a lot of responsibility on your shoulders, didn't you? I mean, you, you, got the, you had this huge crew and cast and everyone had hopes. Everyone had these, the, 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 you know, the dreams that you guys, and if you like, I think you're being a bit harsh on yourselves with the, you know, the naivety of thinking this is going to be it. We're going to make a movie and it's going to, I was the same. And you, and you as the producer, you had, it was you that had everyone coming to you saying, so have we heard anything from Universal yet? 
Like it was you that had all of that emphasis on you. So I can I can well imagine that you know you were you were kind of incentivized to focus on that, even if you. You know, even if you hadn't have felt it was so important at the time, everyone else was telling you it was. And it did take a, it did take a while to come out. Let's talk about that then, and, and the release of the movie, and how you release your first movie, because that's something that you know people can go out there now and make a film on their iPhone. You can, but it's ha- and and it can be amazing, or it could be terrible. But it's how you then get that out to the public. And sadly, you can get you know idiots online being mean, but at the same time, you can also get a career out of it. So. How did you actually get it released? How did you get it out into the world? It feels like it was a really tricky time because it was that we were sort of still on the cusp of digitization and an online release. Like you know, Netflix wasn't around then, Amazon Prime wasn't around then. You didn't, but online online releases were a thing. I think there was, I think Distrify maybe had just started then, and you know they're long gone. And there's plenty plenty of platforms like that that have sort of come and gone over the years you know there were examples of people doing their own sort of self-distribution uh you know crowdfunding I think was a bit of a thing was becoming a bit of a thing at that stage as well but very much so there was still the sort of traditional distribution route which was still the sort the sort of norm I guess and that's that's ultimately what we what we did with Harshlight whether that was the right thing or or not I, I don't know it's it's a little bit of um there was a little bit of reluctance, you know, particularly for me at the time, the idea of having, you know, done all this work and all these people done all this work. And then someone walks in right at the end and says, yeah, I'll sell this one, but I want all this money or I want, you know, 50% or 25% and, and I get all this up front and you think, well, hang on a minute. That's, that doesn't seem right. And I, like, it took me a while to get my head around that. It wasn't our only option, but it felt like our own only sort of realistic option. And for somebody that was so keen to just get the film out there and do it properly, which you know, in hindsight, perhaps I shouldn't have. I, I shouldn't have been like that. I should have been more sort of open minded and think, well, let's let's be experimental and let's let's learn about these other things because because I can because this is what this whole process is meant to be about. Making this film, we've got a distributor for UK and then an international sales agent for the rest of the world, and uh, the film got released in the UK on DVD. We did do a, we did a small theatrical run, which was sort of self-organized really. We did, we'd played in a few cinemas and did Q and A's, which show it's, it was kind of event screenings, which were really good fun. And I, I kind of wish we'd have pushed more. Well, it's always so nice to see it on the big screen, isn't it? That's kind of what it's worth, you know, because the DVD just sort of, there it is, it's over there somewhere. Whereas those event screens, you can get your friends and get other people and push and talk about it. Yeah, and it's a yes. good shop window for it as well. You know, it's good, mm-hmm. you know, so it's all good marketing, you know, even if it, if it doesn't make you any money uh, and, and being able to talk about it and, and, and meeting the people that watch it, um, I think is is always a really useful thing. And it's something that we would have done for Schools Out for sure around this time. Mm-hmm. Of course you would, yeah. But obviously that's not going to happen. So yeah, ultimately it went straight to DVD and uh, got, got, obviously got pirated almost immediately. We were very upset about. In the wrong aspect ratio. <laughs> oh, oh God. If you're going to do it. Yeah, do it properly, you morons. How, oh, it really pisses me off. It really annoys me. They don't seem to understand that indie filmmakers work so hard on something like this and put all their heart and soul into this. For three years, you've been trying to get this out there after 
filming it. He gets out there and someone parrots it in the wrong aspect ratio. It's like, you fuckers. So that means people are going, oh, I watched your movie last night. Yeah, where 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 did you watch it? Oh, I found this. Oh, there was okay. a bit of that. I genuinely had people who, uh, uh, friends of mine who didn't quite, I think at that time didn't quite realise the sort of, the, what, the, the implications of saying, yes. I watched it online last night and I was like, it's not online. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, it's so sad. Is it, Emma, what did you learn from selling the movie then because suddenly you've, you've got to dive into contracts and understanding that world which takes people lifetimes to understand the pros and cons the ins and outs how people can uh hoodwink you in contracts like that um what looking back now what did you learn from it and how did you navigate those horrible choppy waters I, I sort of don't really feel like we were hoodwinked into anything i, I mean I, I hadn't read contracts like that before um but i I had an idea of the things to look out for, you know, caps on expenses and the sales agent and distributor. It was part of the same company and they were a niche horror uh, distributor and sales agent. Um, they weren't huge. Do you know, it's weird. I would have maybe tried to negotiate a short term. And we, we, I didn't have like, we, we didn't have lawyers involved. You know, I didn't have, a, I didn't have anybody legal look over it we didn't have the money either you know that's it you can't afford that i just you know i had a look at it we i did have there's a um a producer called richard johns who's based at bournemouth university while while we were doing our ma there but he was kind of a mentor to me and and was was um was really you know super helpful with getting the film sort of finished off he helped out with some introductions uh, so i know he looked over it so i think that the deal's okay we saw hundreds of pounds back rather than thousands of pounds back. Oh, so you actually got some money back? Well, where was our share? <laughs> we got some money back. Not, not enough to, to pay back. To, to, to get down to Dan's waterfall. 20 quid for Giles, 20 quid for me. <laughs> we did, I mean, it, I, did, I had a very detailed recruitment schedule, very detailed waterfall um, that was, uh, that was use, useless because we never got beyond that. That first threshold of the expenses. Yes, yeah. Funnily enough, and I, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna say that this is all part of my master plan. The rights do revert back to me um, fairly soon, so it's going to coincide nicely with when Ollie's you know making his third film for a lot of money and 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 is a, a very well known and successful director, and everybody wants to watch his first film. Are you going to tell me we could have made schools out like seven years ago, but you you just wanted to wait? Sure. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, done. That's it. That's amazing. Again, it was just all part of the sort of learning experience. Just, you know, knowing how, you know, I didn't know how distributors work, how the how the traditional distribution method work. I didn't know how other distribution methods work. It was just, I sort of just sort of had to figure it all out and 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 do what I thought was best at the time. Whether that was the right thing for the film or not, I, I don't know. Maybe I should have pushed the festival route a little bit more first and we should have tried to focus. Like we, I know we, we had our world premiere at Cinequest and we went over to Cinequest and Dan, you came with us. That's right, of course you did. I did, yeah. Yes. It was amazing. Uh, which was great fun. And, and I think maybe I, I could have I could have put more effort into pushing that some more and it playing the festival. So Because that, you know, again, I was so focused on let's get this film out, let's get a release and let's try and make loads of money from it. Whereas, you know, I should have perhaps cared for the film a little bit more. If I had said to you, or if anyone had said to you at the time, well, you'll get released on DVD, you'll have a limited theatrical release, you'll get a US, you'll get a distributor, you'll get US DVD release. You'll, if I had laid out all the things that actually happened to The Harsh Light of Day, we, most of us would have bitten their hand off for it, myself included. I mean, it's a fantastic achievement. 
This episode is brought to you by Visit Myrtle Beach. You know what's better than getting away to a beach? Getting together at the beach. Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. They've got over 2,000 restaurants, live music playing all day and night, and endless attractions. This place was made for playing hard and beaching easy. Welcome to 60 Miles Where You Belong. The Beach, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Plan your trip at visitmyrtlebeach.com. It's just so interesting how it's all relative, isn't it? Because now you look back and you think, oh my God, you know, if only we knew this and if we only... But I think, interesting, you talk about the analogy of buying a lottery ticket because here we are sitting here 10, 12 years later and all four of us still in the business, still working. That film, to some extent, lesser or greater, set the trajectory for all of us, you know? And we're all working and so it's like a... It's like a slow motion lottery win, maybe, but it's a lottery win. Yeah, but no, Dan's one hundred percent right. You know, the fact you made that when you're at university, you know, is is an incredible achievement. The fact Dan's right, you you got it released. How many films get made that never even get a DVD release? They don't even get that far. They're on the mum's shelf, maybe. You know what I mean? And the fact is, this did really well. You've got to be immensely proud and immensely uh, overjoyed with the success of it, regardless of you know the the shit that does come with a release like this. And at the time, it, yeah, but it's only it was like say it was only nine years ago when it came out and how the industry has changed and how much you guys have learnt uh, and that takes us perfectly on to uh, Schools Out Forever segue of the year there because yeah yeah because this film it's like say it's your your second movie Ollie but for you Emma you since you know again you've both been working in the industry but for you Emma you you been this trajectory of making more films more films bigger films bigger films and then it came to schools out now do you think if you'd made this like seven years ago when you were trying to make this it would be different you'd be in a different position like say you have how much have you learned during that time and can you tell our listeners what that might be um no it wouldn't have been the same film ollie gave me the book i think it was in it was 2011 or 2012 um, and that's when we first started. So, but even before Harsh Light Day came out, yeah, I, th- I think around that time, I actually read it before we even shot Harsh Light. Um, but the um, it was during post of Harsh Light when I sent it to Emma and just said because she was sort of saying, "What do you think we should do next?" Again with this with this concept that probably the next thing would be just around the corner. And I sort of said this basically, and she said, "Yeah, that's a good idea." Yeah, my protocol was to to say right okay well if we're going to develop this let's let's not just do it for shits and giggles let's do it properly so i need to option uh get an option on the rights to develop this into a film um so you know looked on the back of the book abaddon books never heard of that publishing company i'm sure it's tiny uh you know traced it up so oh rebellion okay i think they look quite big I, i didn't know who rebellion were at the time um so i just i um got straight in touch with um Jason Kingsley, uh, Jason and Chris uh, are the owners of Rebellion, um, and uh, you know said we can we want to make this into a film and, and um, did get a lawyer this time. Um, so we opted. That was a, about an eight month process before we got, we then got the option and started developing it. But you know, again, like I was, you know, I was hungry to just get on and 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 make more films, but also. And it's the same for Ollie. We, you know, we need to work. We need to work. We weren't at university anymore. We needed to be working. We need to, you know, need to earn a living. So um, I did work. I worked like not in the industry for about a year. I got a job doing something else. Um, it was still in, in media, but um, but not in filmmaking remotely. Um, and whilst I was doing that, I was sort of networking, trying to, you know, meet other filmmakers and going to a lot of um 
uh, you know, film council, Screen South events, things like that. Somewhere on the line, I can't remember how I met Ben, but I met Ben um, and Ben Crow, who's the writer director of Verity Summer. And he had this script, which I really liked, and said, do you want to help me make it? Because he'd, he'd seen The Harsh Light of Day or he knew about The Harsh Light of Day. Um, so we, so I co-produced Verity Summer within the following, I think we made that 2013. Um, slightly bigger budget. I think we had about 40 grand to make that. Um, uh, but again, it was like, you know, I'd learned some stuff. I, I learned some more stuff on that. I was sort of very much aware that I didn't, didn't have I, I always felt like I didn't have any proper industry experience and that was that was I felt like I needed to there was there was so much I needed to learn so I started just working in production so it was what I ended up doing um and I, I sort of fell in you know you sort of fall into each film and um you know I think pretty much every job I've worked on has come from sort of word of mouth or someone's recommended me or whatever um, so I just ended up start, I just ended up sort of either production managing or line producing on low budget films to start with, and then each each feature had a sort of each feature I worked on seemed to have a slightly larger budget. So every film every film that I w- worked on, and still I think today, like every film I feel like I'm punching, even working on Forty Seven Meters Down. Um, I only actually did half of that because I was heavily pregnant when um, I, I started working for Kate on that on that film. So I. Uh, I did the first half of it and then had to hand over to um, a fantastic PM called Tim Leach because um, I had to go and give birth. Of course, gets in the way, doesn't it? it yeah, yeah. But that, like I, I hadn't worked <laughs> to that to that extent, and under you know that was like pretty much all of that film set underwater. And still, and I think I'll probably always be this way. Just like I like I like new challenges and I like doing something that I haven't done before and working out how to do it. You know, you it just it's just another string to your bow, really, isn't it? Well, the more you do that, the more you are on set or in that world of production, whether it's uh, pre or post, you're learning, you're, you're within that world. So when a conversation comes up, it's not, it's not, oh gosh, yeah, what was that again? You can remember it because you're just talking about it three days ago or three weeks ago or even three months ago, but it, it's still fresh. It's still, everything's about trying to make the best film possible on whatever job you're on. Yeah, exactly. It's vital because as directors... You very rarely get to see other directors work, but often you you hardly ever on set. You know, as a director, you're on set what four weeks uh, every every three years or something. If you're lucky, you know, on a feature film, really, that's realistic. You know, whereas a producer, or if you're uh, production managing, or you're whatever else on a film set, well, you're on set. Actors on set all the time. Cinematographers on set all the time. Directors hardly on set. That's why it's always good to just keep your ear and keep doing stuff. So it's great, Emma, that you, you you know, your side is you're like, yep, yep, I'm just keeping going on this trajectory. So when School's Out forever actually got the green light, that must have been like, okay, cool, we're ready. And Ollie, you must have been like, I'm ready. (laughs) (laughs) I certainly was, yeah. Um, uh, as as same as Emma though, as I say, I've been working a lot on 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 sets, sort of way above my level in terms of. what, me as a director, you know what I could get, you know, really big, big budget productions, and um, and and finding myself increasingly with quite a lot of say in those because obviously, as as VFX becomes more integral, a more and more integral part of what we do, you know, the VFX supervisor becomes a sort of um, uh, quite a figure on. And so, so I had this weird mid ground in that of of yeah of of, of experiencing these big productions and seeing what limits them and what doesn't and what's freeing about them and what works and what doesn't and then and then obviously yeah schools out when schools out finally did come along 
um, it was a it was a bigger step up than I've ever had in terms of budget at my fingertips. But I'd, I'd, I mean, I'd be also been I should say I'd been second unit directing a lot of these shows that I that I VFX supervised because, and again, it goes back to what Dan's saying about um, about the the lottery ticket or the um, I suppose it's like a compound interest ISA, isn't it, rather than a lottery ticket? But, um, <laughs> but, but to make it sexier, yeah, exactly. Um, but like because of t- doing things like harsh light and shorts and stuff, I could at least say to these. Um, producers you know oh oh, well i mean if it's helpful for you you know if you want me to go off and just shoot the vfx stuff and not you know with my own crew then that's and then and then that sort of developed into second unit directing um and and so i got a lot a, a, a lot out of that and then yes when schools out came along um so we'd been working on the script obviously all this time and as i say it always comes back to script for me that is my original sort of love and and um and actually, on the directing side, I mean, we had to we had to shoot a promo for Rebellion to prove that I could direct it. Essentially, uh, they didn't. I don't think they phrased it oh, quite really? that brutally. Oh, okay. But they they wanted they they were nervous um, about having. I think probably nervous about having both the, the writer direct it, but also just you know my my on paper my. Uh, my CV was now much longer as a VFX person, a second unit director, and and you know obviously my my key apart from a few shorts, my key directing credit was nothing since Harshlight. So, uh, and again, I, obviously me and Emma have worked together since Harshlight, and w- we've been a very good team with each other. And it was I was very grateful because it was basically Emma who said, "Well, let us let us shoot a thing to prove that we can do it." Um, and we did. We shot the the the. Um, I mean, you guys have seen the film. I think the the house sequence where Lee's in his home um, after he's left school. We shot that entire thing right up to when he leaves on the bike, um, as a with a completely not completely different crew. We retained some people, but um, uh, uh, as as a as a one off promo, you know, that would work as well. It wouldn't really work as a short film, but we'd sort of entered it with that with that mentality um, and. Um, and they liked it, and then they said, "Yeah, okay, you, you know, you can do, you can do the whole thing." So, so going back to the thing of it's always a hustle. Even then, um, having written the script that they that they really liked, it, I, we had to hustle to 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 get me to on on the on the directing uh, on the directing side yeah, of it. Isn't that amazing? That whole hustle it never stops. So, so obviously you had rebellion on, like you say, Emma, quite early on, and then it took this long. You know, in terms of that was 2000 and sort of 12, 13, 14, around then. So we're talking six years before you'd even gone into production. What was happening during that time, Emma? How did you manage to raise, get the money for it? How did it work with Rebellion? Talk us through that. Well, I mean, it, you know, it's never it's never easy uh, <clears throat> financing a film. I still don't know how people do it, to be honest. Um, it's not easy. And when you've got a film that, particularly more so in earlier drafts, in the most reductive sense is kids with guns in a boarding school (laughs) it's a tricky one to get people to invest in and think everyone's going to love this and it's going to make loads of money one of the other things you know as I was sort of you know crafting my skills as a a production manager and line producer and I was obviously learning a lot from producers um, that I was working for Uh, but one of the things that I I never really saw was how how they how they raised the money and and that that was sort of still a crapshoot just yeah just like i mean i yeah i just it still amazes me how people manage manage to do it in, in independent film but we we tried and i you know every so often like when i wasn't working on another film because as you as you guys well know like when you're on a film it just consumes your life you have no time to do anything else 
so between jobs, you know, me and, me and Ollie are sort of touch base. Me, me and Ollie were actually flatmates for a few years as well. So, and I, and I did get some interest at a lot, you know, for a few meetings. I got, you know, I did a couple of sort of development programs and things with it. And there was sort of mixed interest, but I was never sort of, I never got to the stage of, of, of getting it more than sort of 50% finance. Like, well, how do you like, how do I fill these gaps? And, and, and every year I was extending the option, which cost money. So it was money out of my pocket. Totally, it still costs money. It's your pocket, absolutely. There's a lot to be said for sort of dogged determination, which I think is just a key attribute in anybody that's trying to make a film or work in this industry full stop. I think every, every April we extended the option and it was coming round to the April. I think it was still the year before, but I think we were a few months away from needing to extend the option. And I, and I sort of decided within myself, I just need to just put this on the shelf now. I can't keep, we can't, I just can't, I can't keep going with this despite having, you know, what we, you know, what I really felt was a really great script. I just, I I didn't know how to get it made. And then heard from, from Ben Smith, who's had a film at Rebellion, and he said, we really liked the script. And um, I'd had a budget that was around the million pound mark. Um, and they said, look, we're, we're prepared to fully finance this. Isn't it amazing when you're about to close one door, you're like, I'm going to close it, sunny it open, you're like. Ollie um, can speak for himself, but for me personally, it just, like, it felt like all the stars aligned because I felt so ready to make, to make our next film. Um, all the all the all the different films I'd worked on as a production manager, as a line producer, all the experience I'd gathered, I felt like everything I'd done had led to right now. I'm ready. Like well, I made my first film because I, I didn't have a fucking clue what I was doing, and I needed to. I wanted to. I wanted to make a feature film, and I, I wanted to learn how to make get into film. And then and then I was like, right, okay, now I need to do. Now I need to make my next film, and it, I need to do it right. And I just felt like, yeah, now was I, I knew I knew exactly how I was how to make this film. I knew exactly how to achieve this film. But but the the content of the film, I mean, it is a tough. That's a tough million. That's a tough million. And it is because there's so much going on in there. There's people on fire. There's people getting thrown out of buildings. There's machine guns. You know, there's health and safety thing. There's massive, amazing locations. You know, there's, there's a lot going it's on. It's an action film. It's an action film hidden within a school dr- drama and it's 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 really well made it really is okay so now rebellion have said yes what was the phone call from you emma to ollie i don't remember it do you ollie it was it wasn't a phone it was really you did it in a really weird way and it <laughs> and it and it took me a little while to actually work out what you were saying because you you you'd come round um to my flat in penge and um and we would, I think you were just, it, it was a new place I've moved into. So uh, I think Emma was just coming to see it. Uh, and I was like, right. So, what, and obviously we've been working. Um, and I, I, I mean, I felt very much the same as Emma. In, in fact, I was very much on a, on a, on a cusp of kind of like making that choice of whether, and it, it, it would have, I'm very, to just be clear, I'm really grateful for the work, but it would have been a bit of a sadness to me to go, right. I'm a, I'm a VFX supervisor. You know, that's what's making my money. That's what's you know, pushing my life forward and a second unit director and that, you know, that's a good combination to have. That's a useful person on a set. Um, so I, you know, but, but obviously still had this, this burning desire to be, a, to, to, to direct my own stuff and particularly schools out and, um, felt very much ready. Um, uh, same as Emma. And then she, and then we'd, we'd recently had it fall apart again for like the, 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 the seventh time or something. We'd got as close as we'd ever got to getting it financed and it had fallen apart again. Um, so we were, and then, and then Emma came around and she, and she, and I was like, right. So what, what are you doing next? Just a general, like, what are you working on question as we all do in the industry to each other? And she was like, 
I've just got together actually um um it just sort of closed the the financing on my next film and I was like oh cool what's that and she went school's out and honestly in the first instance I couldn't work out whether she was saying you're out <laughs> like I've got I've, I've I've attached a director and you know yeah um um but but of course that and then and then and then I saw this big smile and I was like oh shit like are you t- do you mean do you mean that you know and she was like yeah I think I think it looks it's looking and I think at that point it wasn't absolutely 100% but it was like good enough that you were saying it was looking really good and you know it was probably going to happen I do remember that I think I was drunk <laughs> I think we've been drinking I think <laughs> you were drunk even yeah. better I just come round go oh fun that's the next movie in your face oh it's yours that's really fun and then what did you do from there what was the next steps for you guys to go right we're financed you go right we're going to shoot this time how did you start the whole process they said to me, well, you know, we need to look at directors, you know, we're not totally sure, you know, Ollie's the right person for it. And and I was like, no, nah, no, nah. it's his script. He knows this inside out. He knows this. Um, he has absolute carnal knowledge of of every single character on the page. Um, uh, there's there's no one there's no one else. And, and, he, and, and, you know, because of his background in the effects as well. And he, you know, he like it was like me. He knew exactly. I knew that he knew exactly how to make the film, and it's the same. You know, it's just, it's almost the same thing of, as as like the sales agent, or a, it's like it's totally different. But just ha- the idea of having someone just walk in after all that work to then direct the film, it just I just thought I can't. I just no. This this is this Ollie needs to. So so I said let 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 us shoot. You know, let us shoot just five pages of the script. We'll shoot, and they were like, okay, fine. But essentially, it's like we have to shoot. We have to show the action and that. By the way, we haven't got any money to do this. <laughs> How did you do that then? Well, they did actually. Rebellion offered up. They gave. They, I mean, they gave me five grand, um, and they said, "Here's five grand." And, but they said, "They said, how much do you need?" I said, oh, five grand um, to shoot five pages of the scripts." And so, you know, we got um, again like the goodwill of of um, you know it's the same DOP and same camera crew Thomas Hole so Thomas came to shoot that for you great absolutely great. fantastic and he was you know very um very keen to just help out in getting the film made and Tom and Ollie had a great relationship and and uh so important to have that as well isn't yeah, it? yeah totally so um so yeah as Ollie said we had we had a lot of the crew <laughs> and, and 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 the initial plan was to because we thought right let's shoot this properly let's shoot this as well as we can and 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 in an ideal world to sort of help my budget out um this will this will just slot into the film yeah uh which it could have done but we changed actors so we we, we recast lee and I, the vfx wouldn't stretch to that particular just swap swap out yeah yeah, yeah so. exactly right so you, you you shot that they then saw it and they said yes yeah and suddenly now you've got your signed off budget and you're, you're ready to shoot. Uh, we we got it all done between other things we were doing, as 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 is the way. And um, and I cut it and and we got it set and we sent it off. Um, and I was working as a as a VFX supervisor on a show in India, um, an ITV show called Beecham House. Um, and it was it was the last day of the shoot. Um, uh, in fact, it was we'd done the last day of the shoot, um, and um, and um, another bit of tiny bit of Emma tantalisation. She went, she went. I think she texted me saying, "I'm going to email you about schools out," 
rather than just telling me what the verdict was. And then, and then, she, and then, and then she sent through like, so I'm just sat by my laptop, like, yeah, uh, waiting, waiting, and, waiting. And then she sent through, yeah, their email saying, um, you know, um, uh, that yeah, that we that we we're happy to go ahead with with Ollie and and uh, to shoot it. And I was, I mean, and I, it was I, I, it was just a really surreal moment. And as I say, in this hotel, it's somewhere in India, in one of the cities. Sorry, we've moved around a lot there, waiting to go to the airport the next morning, and like. Just, yeah, I mean, it was amazing. I, I think I rang up the room service and said, I'll have two bottles of wine. No, wait, I didn't one <laughs> bottle of wine. Oh. <laughs> Just one. I love that. But it must have felt, like you said, it felt amazing. But it was another side of you that was a bit like, oh, shit, deep breath. I've actually got to do this now. It's very much like I'm not, not at all. I, I was so ready by that point. And, and to go back to what Emma was saying about the way we sort of work together, I think, you know, I, I do think that again, and it's not blowing smoke up our own trumpets, but that that's a weird phrase, isn't it? Um, uh, the, no, the, no, you can do it. I don't have a trumpet. <laughs> <laughs> We have a we have a shorthand that allowed us to get that much out of that little money. And again, as you say, people will be listening to this going, million quid's loads of money, but for what you know, and it and it literally comes down to, you know, as Emma says, we know the film inside out, we know how to shoot it. And it will come down to Emma coming down, you know, while we're shooting a scene one day and saying, Tomorrow, can you shoot this entire scene just in that direction? Because that means that we don't need to pay for this and then we can do it when two days later we've got this thing coming in and it's like we're saving, you know. And I don't mean that like, and and because we know it so well and frankly we had an amazing cast who could do things like that. We, it, 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 we, we could do things like that and, and, you know, really just kind of knowing it inside and out well enough that, that, that no change really was that much of a problem, Um you, you know, within the grand scheme of it, it's like, well, we know what the shots are. Yeah, we could just do that, and maybe we could not have him in the background of that one. We'll frame it to the left a little bit. You know, all that kind of stuff. And through those tiny little things, like eking out that budget to something that that feels. Uh, and, and as Emma said, I mean, doing the VFX stuff. I mean, one thing I'd say that doing VFX will do for you is is a great natural sort of instinct for making something look expensive because that's essentially what we do with with like a day in day out is you make stuff look cool like yep. I, I yeah. mean that the briefs tend to be more specific than that but you know it's always <laughs> there's always an element of can you elevate this in terms of production value and so you know learned a lot there doing you know doing that and then as Emma said Tom our DOP was just amazing I mean he's one of those people who can you know you, you can say right you've got five minutes and we can only use one lamp um, and the scene will look incredible. It really did. Let's talk about that. Unpack working with Thomas a little bit and your your and him relationship and how that worked. Did you prep, like you say, you prep massively beforehand, but did you do, uh, obviously you did shot lists, but did you do storyboards? How did you work together? Did you talk about colour palettes? Did you talk about theme? Can you just run us through that? It, well, the funny thing with Tom is, I, I mean, this, this sounds like um, a made-up thing. We have, su- I, I think we genuinely have such a sort of, instinctive understanding of what we want we did do shot lists and i did do some stickman storyboards i mean one thing i would love you know to to invest some budget in 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 future projects is proper storyboards um but we 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 felt that that was a slight indulgence of 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 the resources again we were kind of using you know we we knew that we could communicate that and we didn't necessarily need those so i would do some stickman storyboards but most of the time it was a shot list and and we talked through the the crew per scene you know here's where you know here's what we're going to do here's where the cameras um but with tom particularly i mean it was a funny thing tom, um he 
was a camera assistant on a BBC show called Atlantis, which I used to work on in the VFX department many, many moons ago. And um, he was just one of those people who I had, he, he was on my Instagram or my Facebook or whatever. Um, and since he left that show and did that, you know, quite confident thing of like going actually I'm, I'm a DOP I'm not like he decided he didn't want to be uh, I mean he might have a different version of this history but from what I could gather he decided that he didn't want to be a camera assistant work jobbing in TV he wanted to be a DOP in his own right um, which uh, you know very young and started managing to get commercial work you know and everything he shot I thought was beautiful and and I didn't I didn't speak to him for years like as in we you know if we'd seen each other in a pub we would have said hello but I was just aware of him on all my social media and, and just repeatedly thinking god this looks amazing this looks amazing this looks amazing and so when we um when we came to make the promo uh, I basically just sent him a, a, a an email and said look I can't you know I, I I think we were talking to a couple of DOPs weren't, weren't we um but I'd thrown him in the mix just because of this history of just thinking his work was beautiful um and, and we went you know we went with him um and he shot the promo and it was amazing and then by the time we were on set I mean it's a very 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 intuitive um uh relationship he's he's great because he he lights he can he can interpret because an area I don't have much technical knowledge in is the actual lighting. It's like as in what lights, what lamps, where they should go, you know. And he's so good at doing that, so intuitively and so so beautifully. And then he doesn't. And then he's also got the the, the dual um, benefit of not minding me being very. I'm very fussy about framing. So and and he doesn't mind me going. Can we be a little bit to the left? Can we you know up that? Can we you know um, because he's got he's he's. Uh, as I say, mostly the commercials DOP, and I think he was really interested in getting into more narrative. And we talk about using the camera as a storytelling tool and stuff like that. But he was also happy to be led a bit in that way, which is really useful for me because, as I say, I'm a bit of a pain in the ass in that way. I'm quite fussy. And the other thing he has, which really plays through in the, in, and this became a real boon for us, a real key thing for us in the way the film is presented and shot. Um, he has he shot a lot of football promos, um, and he has this really energetic style of handheld i can't quite tell you what it is i mean he shoots from the hip the stuff you see before the football match you know all those ridiculous images of horses charging each other incongruously cut together with like footballs for some reason and you know it's all like <laughs> and, and and he does all that stuff and he does it amazingly and and actually you know that we we decided this thing with schools out where the action was always going to follow a character we don't shoot coverage really um mostly because we don't have time again that comes back to how to achieve it on the budget like if if someone over there if if, if this scene's about lee in the middle of this action thing and someone over there gets knocked over or falls off a bridge or something we don't if he doesn't see it we don't see it um, and 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 that was mostly a time and money saving thing but that what that what that led to was tom being able to use this handheld style he has was so, so aggressively and so confidently because it wasn't cut into i mean he's cut also all this they're none of them are one shots they're all cut action sequences but it just has this drive that i think is so part of what makes the film work and those sequences work and that's like the more I saw him doing that the more I was like let no do that like and, and there was a few scenes that were supposed to be like track and dolly and, and I was like no let's just let's just handheld it like this, this the time this. was a big reason yeah time and also just the feeling it's like this film this this scene is supposed to be tense and I'm actually I'm getting more tension out of the way you do handheld which normally I think can be a bit scrappy and you know 
Um, and uh, yeah, so I mean, that was a very long-winded answer of saying it was a great. It's basically a great relationship. I, you know, I, I, I couldn't have. We couldn't have done better. That's lovely. It's a really good tip. What did you shoot on? What camera? Sony Venice. Nice. Okay, cool. Because it's easier, lighter to move around as well in terms of him shooting from the hip. Yes, and um, we we had a we had an initial idea that we wanted it to be a six K master as well, which was which was which is part of that, and also that you could you could detach the. Um, you can attach the sensor from the Venice and run it by a cable um, back to the main body of the camera, which for action stuff is very useful because it means you can stick it behind a bookshelf or something. Do you know what I mean? You can you can put it wherever you want. Which is perfect because there's nothing worse than like, well, we'd love to get, especially in a small room or something. You're like, well, I'm up against the wall already. And you're like, yeah, I don't feel we're in the room yet. So to be able to do that with a camera like that's really useful. And it looked gorgeous. I mean, there was no question about it. It looked absolutely stunning which is really good um how many days did you shoot for emma what, how many in total did you have it was a five, five week shoot okay. but then we did uh, we did two day we did two two pre-shoot days to reshoot the the stuff in the house which uh you know we you know we had to reshoot the promo it really is tough and filmmakers don't realize that until you've done it and you go oh my god i was really burning the candle because you can't stop as a director producer you can't literally have a moment where you go i'm just going to switch off now you can't you do that you've missed something massively important you go oh my god i feel out my depth if you manage to sit down at lunch and eat without anyone asking you anything something's wrong something's really yes, wrong something's you know, really bad um, has happened there's been a zombie apocalypse yeah. which is which is again giles a great segue into what the film is about because we haven't talked about what it actually is and it, we don't say it's a zombie apocalypse but an apocalypse happens uh, uh in the world or certainly in the uk and you have uh, these school kids and some of them survive and one of the 50 year olds who's just been expelled has to make his way back to the school and then survive in the school it's it's such a great cool concept such a great movie it's so well made uh, emma i wanted to ask you did you save in that budget did you save some money for marketing because obviously nowadays everything is online and you can put money towards it. i wanted to know did you think about that at the start was that part of the what rebellion wanted no it didn't and you know it was literally just the film's budget what it would cost to get the film finished um and, and you know again we're quite lucky in that regard because rebellion fully financed and i should say the way they fully financed it was that they rather than me license exercise the the, the option and and you know purchase the rights to make the film they the revert i let the rights revert back to them so they it was an in-house it's a rebellion production and then they hired me as a producer for hire to make the film um which is very kind of them because they didn't need to do that <laughs> would have been pretty harsh if they did <laughs> it's, I, know, I know that would have been it i'm telling you that would have been it i would have, uh, I would have never worked again i would have crawled into a hole and curled up and died <laughs> um so thanks rebellion so so it's very much their baby it's what it's their film they own they own this film the marketing was always sort of separate and, and 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 also they wanted to pay to get this film made they wanted to make this film so we just made the film and that's a really that's a really unusual position actually to be in we didn't have a, a deadline we didn't have a distributor we didn't have sales agent we didn't have anybody to answer to at all um uh, we uh, as in rebellion myself and Ollie, you know, we just wanted to make this one. It was a really, you know, they were always really supportive of the, of the script development and everything and really supportive of the of the process of making the film. They just wanted to get the film made and, and, and make it 
as good as it possibly could be. Very few people have seen it on a big screen. We, you know, we, Ollie and I have watched the DCP at, at Molinaire, who, who did the post for the film. It's a different experience, yeah, which is such a shame, you know, for, for, for us as, uh, for, as the filmmakers to, you know, that that's not going to be how people see it, but... You know, that's it's, it's lucky enough to be able to make one, but yeah, it is, it is exactly, a shame. Ollie. Yeah, no, absolutely right. Uh, finally, Emma, I wanted to ask you, you, you mentioned there about the you know, now people can watch the movie. Um, I wanted to talk about that whole release that you're doing because you're not going through, as far as I can tell, a, a regular distributor. You've not gone with Lionsgate or Signature or anyone like that, you're doing it through Rebellion, is that correct? Yeah, Rebellion are very keen to sort of, um, I mean, they, I think you know, they have the same, um, same view as me, really, or you know, the same view that, that I had when I was going through the, you know, the release of Harsh Light, in that, um, you know, they don't they don't like middlemen, um, and they're very keen to, um, you know, they release they were you know video games they you know they release themselves you know it's, it's, it's that sort of a different world and and they're very keen to sort of apply the same the same sort of method of of thinking with with releasing their own content you know fair you know fair play. So we're, we're releasing through Central City Media. Um, they are putting the film on uh, all the major platforms. So it will be available to to rent or purchase um, from the 15th of February. And then we are, um, which is, is slight, slightly indulgent, I think now, but, um, but why the hell not? We can. We are doing a physical DVD and Blu-ray release as well. Uh, that will be released on the 12th of April. Oh, amazing. But honestly, the, the film is superb. I really, really enjoyed it. I honestly thought for you, Ollie, how how uh, mature your filmmaking was, how beautiful it was. You know, you and the team, performances across the board was really stunning. I'd be surprised if a lot of these people don't break out. Uh, Emma, you've done an amazing job doing that. And it sounds like it was, you know, really hard work, teamwork, and you guys going, let's do this. And it's it's an amazing achievement, amazing to see. So really well done. Um, where can people find, is, uh, is it online, movie like as in have you got a twitter page for it got instagram if not where's yours the best thing to do is go to the rebellion website rebellion.com and um they there is plenty of information and other links on there i'm on instagram at oliver milburn uh, wd as in writer director oliver milburn wd i'm uh, trying to post useful filmy stuff on there all the time and obviously you can follow me at giles alderson dan richardson where can people follow you People can follow me on Dan Seven Tenths, Instagram and Twitter. Uh, amazing. February 15th, it is out. School's out forever. Honestly, it's a brilliant indie film. It's really, really cool. Uh, next week, you wonderful people, you're going to love this. We have Donal McCusker, uh, the producer of To Olivia, and joining him is the director, John Hay. How cool is that? Two Olivia's out uh, next week and it's the Hugh Bonneville story about Roald Dahl. Absolutely fucking excellent. You're going to love this one. Donal uh, produced The Hurt Locker. Uh, John Hay directed There's Only One Jimmy Grimble and Stig of the Dump. Legends, both of them. So enjoy that uh, for us next Tuesday. Um, and also coming up on um, episodes very near in the future, we have Jessica Hines, Oh yeah, Star of Space, but also she directed, produced and starred in The Fight. And we also have actor Matthew Modine. Oh yeah, star of uh, movies such as Full Metal Jacket, uh, Memphis Belle and the upcoming Wrong Turn. 
the reboot. How cool. How cool, people. How cool is that? Uh, and remember, you can follow us at Filmmakers Pod on Twitter and on Instagram, uh, the Filmmakers Podcast. And if you really want to get in touch with us, then contact us at the Filmmakers Podcast at gmail.com. And if you've made a film, if you made an indie film, you could be on the show as well. So come say hello. Thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate your time a lot. And remember, you can go out there and make your indie film. You can make it happen, just as Oliver and Emma have done. And if you rise up, if you're lucky enough to rise up and do well, it is your duty to send the elevator back down. Emma Biggins, thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. It's so nice to see you guys again. Dan, appreciate you. Always a pleasure. Thank you for having me. And it's so, so lovely to see you folks. Take care. We will see you all next Tuesday. Go make your own film. Make it happen. And we will see you next week. Take care, everyone. Bye. Thank you for calling Odeon Cinemas. Please say the name of the film you'd like to watch. I'd like to watch The Dare, please. I think you said Elf. If that's correct, say yes. Uh, no, The Dare. We're sorry, but Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close is sold out. Is there another movie you'd like to watch? Aye, The Dare. I'm sorry, but The Dare is not showing in this cinema. ha <laughs> ha!